Last week, we talked about knowing what you're actually selling when you're doing a fundraiser. This week, we're having a conversation about setting healthy boundaries when you're doing saving lives work. After decades of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond our personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and multiple conversations with stressed out nonprofit leaders later, our desire to help nonprofits grow in a healthy and sustainable way was bigger than ever. If you're a leader at the top or in the middle of a volunteer and donor-based organization, this podcast is for you. We believe that a better world needs healthier nonprofits, and it's our passion to help you fulfill your organization's mission while helping you live a fulfilled life. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. So we're talking about setting healthy boundaries in saving lives work. And I think in nonprofit work, we can all agree setting boundaries, period, is an issue. Um, But when we're talking to different nonprofit leaders, there's a slight difference, major difference, when it comes to any work that actually involves um, saving lives in some capacity. This could be literally saving lives. This could be um, church leaders who are who have people going through stuff twenty four seven. Any point where you are dealing with people who are going through like a crisis, um, and you could be their point of contact. It's it's a different thing because I've talked to some nonprofit leaders who are like, yeah, when I'm done, <clears throat> I go home and I rest. But then I talk to other nonprofits. They're like. If I turn off my phone, people die. People die. <laughs> I mean, or, or I mean, sometimes it's literally that strong, or sometimes it's kind of like indirectly, yeah. people people's lives are at stake. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can get really, really bad, and I have to have my phone on all the time because I don't know what could be at the other end of that phone call. And I know there have been times for us when we were working more heavily in um, a certain sector that we would get calls at like two, three in the morning from people going through actual family crisis. And it can be very, very difficult to figure out how to set those healthy boundaries, but we still need those healthy boundaries. So I think to get started, we need to talk about why. Because always start with why, right? Um, The thing is, if we don't learn how to set healthy boundaries, even in this type of work, um, we will end up just not being able to continue doing this type of work long term. Um, What we find is organizational leaders who are like, no, I'm all in all the time. It eventually turns into something where they're like, I am all out all the time. Um, Or they almost become callous to the issues. Like they have to start separating themselves and start Hmm. saying like, yeah, my nonprofit cares about the issue, but I've personally stopped caring because if I continue to keep caring, it's going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to last. So it's something that it's a wrestle. Uh, I don't know that we have all the answers in this conversation, but we have learned a lot over the years in talking with many leaders who have wrestled through this as well. Um, and so, yeah, let's. Yeah. This, I'm gonna this, let you is, talk now. this is a really, really <laughs> tough issue because, you know, a lot of us get into nonprofit work because we care about people and the mission usually is I'm trying to help people at some at some way some somewhere along the line you know usually nonprofit work ends with uh, some somebody is affected um, in a positive way because of what we're doing and so when you 
have the communication lines open or you have boundaries set in a weird way that allows you to work all the time and never be able to turn it off. There's a certain amount of like, that's what you should be doing, right? Because that's what the, the mission is, Yeah, is that. And so if you turn your phone off at 5 p.m. and there is a need at 7 p.m., your organization just failed to meet the need that your organization was trying to meet. And so that's why this gets so hard because yeah. it's connected to that. And then on top of that, you probably actually care too. Right. Like it's not just the organizational pressure or the board, you know, the board's pressure or people's expectations of you pressure. It's also your internal monologue saying, I, this is what I live for. So why would I turn my phone off? I, I know I keep using the phone as an example, but there are lots of different ways to why wouldn't I get together with this person mm-hmm. uh, for coffee four times a week? Right. You know, I think part of this is, I mean, you said it really well. When my organization does what it's doing, we help people, which intrinsically, the flip side of that is when my organization chooses to not do what it's doing, it doesn't help people. But oftentimes we put it a step further and we say, when I choose not to act, I am harming people. And (laughs) when we live in that dichotomy of either I'm doing the work and helping people or I'm not doing the work and I am participating in this really bad uh, aspect of life, that puts a lot of pressure on us. And I don't think either one is really ours to carry. I think that when we recognize our organization helps people, it's easy sometimes to put ourselves in the superhero and the savior role. And we assume that if we aren't doing it, no one is ever going to do it. And that creates this really bad snowball effect mentally. Now, I want to be careful because I'm not saying So the truth is, if you don't do it, someone else will do it. So don't try. Like, that's not the case. A lot of times (laughs) we might be the only nonprofit doing what we are doing in our area. So Mm -hmm. quite literally, if we don't do it, it doesn't get done. It doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. But we also have to recognize that what we are trying to do is so big that we cannot measure our success based on how much work didn't happen. We have to measure our success based on how many people we were able to help. And at some point, we have to also look at our success in the scope of our entire lives and recognize that if we don't address this properly, we might help someone in our nonprofit, but we might be destroying our families or we might be destroying a different aspect of our lives that we aren't even realizing is really paying Hmm. for the work that we are trying to do. Yeah. So let's start talking a little bit about some solutions, because I'm pretty sure uh, most people who are listening to this podcast are like, yeah, I know that's this is this is this is this is the problem. I know the problem. Uh, I know the problem. I'm living the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I am the problem. No, Uh, a lot of times we are actually the problem of our own boundary setting. Right. It's it we it's easy to blame others and say somebody else is forcing me to have bad boundaries. Mm -hmm. But. We're the ones who set them up and we're the ones who set the expectations. And a lot of times it there are boundaries. Maybe we set them up and we allowed them to uh, to just fall apart over time. 
or we just weren't stern enough in our communication with people. And so we, we, you know, we beat around the bush trying to tell people like, you know, I can't always be available, you know, instead of saying like, I turn, I have to turn my phone off at six. Otherwise I can't get up tomorrow and do this, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and so really, really important. I think first of all is to recognize and own our, our part of the problem as organizational leaders and say, I am the reason I have bad boundaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am I am the reason I have bad boundaries rather than putting the blame on somebody else or some other situation that we cannot change. Like we can't change the fact that people are going to have needs. Right. Like that's I mean, that's what we're trying to change. Right. We're trying to help people who have needs, We're trying to alleviate whatever the whatever needs we're trying to alleviate. But as long as there are people, there are going to be needs. Yeah. So we have to say. It's not the, it's not that uh, I, it can't be done. It's just that I have to actually work to set the boundaries. Yeah. I think part of this goes back to a lot of uh, the culture that you are allowing to be built or that you are building is, are are you, ex- are you okay with your nonprofit saying, uh, we will meet the needs of the community at any cost? Or are you saying we will meet the needs of the community in a way that's healthy for the people who are on the front lines with us. Um, or we'll meet the needs of the community in a way that allows us to do this for a hundred years instead of three months. Right. We want our organization to have longevity versus we want our organization to be as quote unquote effective as possible for the next 90 days. And ultimately we aren't able to last beyond that point. This was something that we had to wrestle with was, do we want to help 10 people a year for 50 years? Or do we want to help 100 people for the next 30 days and then we're out forever? Mm-hmm. Like the one candle of those... that burns twice as bright burns half as long. <laughs> that should be like on a wall in our house. No. Written in like cursive. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you have that written on your wall in cursive. But I mean, that that is something, though. I think the problem with like candle up burns twice as bright, burns half as long. Like sometimes people look at that and they're like, but either way, I'm I'm burning. At least I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. I heard someone else say, like, I'd rather be on fire and like burning at both ends than not be on fire at all. I'm like, yeah, but either way, in a very short amount of time, both of those candles aren't going to be giving off any light. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to be there. So, and also like you don't have to live at the extremes, right? There is a really, really great point in the middle where you're able to do a lot more mm-hmm. <laughs> than on either of the ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I would recommend if you're in the situation for setting healthy boundaries is to recognize the work that only you can do and the work that you are choosing to do. And seeing where the differences are. If we're talking about candles, like if it's you either burn twice as bright or half as long or something, <laughs> quotes, um, the whole other option is you can just be a candle that's burning at the pace that you are meant to work and then bring other candles around you who can help you carry it and actually be more effective. I was going to say, I think a lot of it comes down <clears throat> to um, the battle the tyranny of the urgent Mm -hmm. doing the urgent stuff rather than doing the important stuff. Mm -hmm. Because if you learned as an organizational leader to expand the strength 
of your organization rather than just doing, 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 <clears throat> doing, mm-hmm. you know, it means you're going to have to say no to some things in the short term to be able to say yes to more things in the future. That means working on building your fundraising and working on growing a volunteer base and a network so that way your organization can grow so that you can have a volunteer position that mans a phone at 2 a.m. Right. Like there are ways to do this where it actually works and doesn't burn you out and doesn't burn people out. But it takes kind of like taking your foot off the gas a little bit and saying, okay, hold on. Instead of just like driving this one car as fast as I can, I need to take a second and just, just pause and think about what are my, what are the boundaries that I need to set? And then what now that becomes an organizational need that we need to fill rather than saying like, I'm just going to choose to not do it. Right. I think that there's a massive thing that happens where people are like, there's a thousand individuals in our community that I feel like we're supposed to be helping. And rather than saying, I'm going to give my organization a couple of years to get to the place where we can have healthy capacity to, to help that number of people. We look at it and say, well, if I want to help a thousand, it's my responsibility to help a thousand right now. That's three a day, 365 days a year. I'm going to go figure it out. And not recognizing that, man, helping a thousand people like that is not that many if it's three a day. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, But not recognizing (laughs) that if instead of just jumping into it and seeing how many of those thousand people we can help, instead recognizing, like, if I just take a step back for 30 days and put together a plan and then spend 90 days building up a small group of volunteers and a system where all of us are able to do a little bit of work in a way that's healthy for us, you can very quickly get to a place where instead of trying to help three people a day by yourself, you can help 10 people a day with a group. And you can actually have not as many days where you're doing the work to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Or you can actually exceed your goals, but you can do it in a way where you're not the one shouldering all of the burden. And unfortunately, I think there's something in the nonprofit realm where people love the idea of shouldering the burden and being the sacrificial person. Yeah, being a martyr. They're like, woe is me. I'm the martyr, but it's because I just care so deeply. In the for-profit realm, business owners are like, I'm happy to bring in the right marketing person. I'm happy to bring in this person over here. And as a team, we win. And I know that ultimately that's going to help the business flourish. But in nonprofit, it's like, I don't want to bother people with trying to help me because we say we don't want to impede people's lives. But I think sometimes we like how it feels to be miserable and be able to tell people that we're just so incredibly Well, I think that that also (laughs) comes from a... Uh, guilt motivation mindset that says, Um, if I can make people feel really bad about me, maybe they'll give more to the organization or they'll offer to come and help without me having to ask. So if I can just like make them feel really bad about how awful my life is by telling them, oh my gosh, oh, it was such a big work week this week at the nonprofit. We just had, oh, I had so many phone calls and so many things and I barely got any sleep. But, you know, it felt really good to help to help so many people. I, what you're actually saying is, please give me money. Mm-hmm. Please give me help. And you're, but you're also lying at the same time. <laughs> at the same time, what you're saying that you don't think you're saying is, if you come join me, you can live like me. Yeah. Do your you life will suck too. too. 
Yay. <laughs> like, I don't know how to set personal boundaries. And if you join my organization, I'm not going to let you set personal boundaries. <laughs> yep. Like, it's it's not good. No. Um, I remember there was one org leader that I saw who very much operated in, like, life is hard mode. It was life is hard and life is hard and life is hard. And then they got the chance to travel out of town for a long weekend to a spa. Like someone had gifted their family on um, this thing. And then she posted pictures about being at a spa. And I was like, how hard is your life? Like you're at a spa. Now that doesn't mean that my judgment of it was accurate or fair or fair <laughs> at all. But it was one of those things that was really hard for me to make the connection because I'm like, you've been saying your life is hard for six months. And now you're like, look at me, I'm at a spa. And then the next week, she was back to my life is hard. My life is hard. And it would have been so much nicer to hear from her if it was something where it was like, yes, this is difficult, but I chose it. And here's the impact we're making. And here's the impact we're making. And here's the impact we're making. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, I got to go away to a spa. But so now I'm awesome. coming back and now I can make more impact. Like, it, mm -hmm. like I don't have a problem with nonprofit leaders going to spas, but it was the way that all of it was communicated that I was like, mm -hmm. this is very, it was difficult for me. And I have a lot of patience and grace in this area for leaders who need to take a vacation. Yeah. We've I can't been, imagine. We've been there. <laughs> I can't imagine the people who don't understand nonprofit work watching this story play out and being like, what are we doing here? I'm so yeah, confused. Yeah, people who don't understand that it, it completely yeah. is lost on them. The the idea that, you know, a nonprofit leader might have two cars for their family and <laughs> like or like um back to the future, you have two TVs. <laughs> like what? I thought you were a nonprofit leader. There's he's joking. He's joking. He doesn't have three TVs in his house. That's impossible. That's impossible. Um <laughs> but like you're a nonprofit leader and you're happy. That's impossible. <laughs> exactly. And so then there's this pressure to feel like you have to perpetuate that in order to even be counted as a decent nonprofit leader. Like if you're doing well, it means your nonprofit isn't accomplishing anything. And it's just not true. Like really understanding that if you can set great boundaries, mm -hmm. even in the midst of really important work. Yeah. First of all, it's going to take it's going to take work and it's going to take you probably pumping the brakes a little bit, which some leaders hate doing. Yep. It's going to take pumping the brakes a little bit and saying, OK, I need to set boundaries. How can I set these boundaries in a way and still accomplish what needs to get done? What is the organization going to need financially, volunteer wise, staff wise? And how can I do this in a way that they're able to set healthy boundaries as well? Yeah. Um, when you do all of that work. What ends up happening is you become a, an organizational leader that other people look at and they say, wow, they know how to lead. I mm -hmm. can invest in that. Right. Rather than everything's <clears throat> falling apart. Why would I give money to help a sinking ship? Yes, because people are watching this wondering. <clears throat> sorry, people are watching, wondering, like, is this an organization that I can trust? Is the leader someone I can trust? And when all they hear is about how bad the organization is and how miserable the leader is, they look at that and say, I feel like I'm contributing to something that's failing, even if it's successful, even if you have the metrics to back it up. And even mm -hmm. if you have the impact that you're trying to make, people don't view you as a winning team. 
Like they, they're just like, okay, so you're doing it, but you're sacrificing what? Like all of it. We're on the flip side of it. If you can learn how to set the boundaries that are needed for you. Now your boundaries are probably going to be different than other people's boundaries because different people need different things. Mm-hmm. If you're an introvert versus an extrovert, you're going to need different things. I very much need time alone to recharge. My calendar each week, I know how many outings I can go on, whether that's grabbing coffee or lunch with a friend, how many events I can go to, how many like social gatherings I can go to before my introvert calendar is full. My calendar is not full, but my introvert calendar is maxed out for the week and I say no to future things going forward. Um and that's essential and that's, that's to essential. us being able to continue to do this, where we know we're able to help a lot more people doing legacy builders. Right. Yeah. And if I didn't do this, the amount of impact that I would have with the people reaching out, needing help, either processing where they're at right now in their lives or where they're at with their organization or where they're at just trying to figure out what the next thing is, or they're like, I am in a pit and I need help getting out of it. If I'm not taking care of myself, tired eyes see tired things. And if someone is coming to me saying, I am in a pit and I don't know how to get out and I have buried myself, I will likely join them in the pit and be like, yep, this is it. <laughs> Welcome to the pit. Like, It's not beneficial to people. And when we operate like that as nonprofit leaders, we aren't able to help people in the way that we think we can help. Yeah, we might technically be able to meet with them. We might technically be able to hand someone a sandwich. We might technically be able to pick up the phone and answer the call at 1 a.m. But are we actually able to give them the hope that they're looking for? Are we actually able to help them? And are we actually able to care about them and care about what they're going through? Mm -hmm. Those are not the same things. Now, as you set boundaries, just a heads up, you will lose some of your volunteers who love the fact that they can call you 24-7 and you have always answered the phone. Mm-hmm. But you will gain volunteers who when they come in and you let them know, listen, I highly value you. I want to be here for you. I want to know what's going on in your life. But I turn off my phone at this point And on this night, my husband and I always have date night. I won't be taking calls during that time. You can feel free to text me and I'll get back to you when I can. Like, people appreciate that. It is shocking, but yeah. people appreciate the fact that you especially, have boundaries and that you're giving them permission to have a life. Especially, we talk about the right people. Yeah. The right people appreciate that, too. Um, people who are healthy and are figuring out how to, you know, have figured out how to set boundaries or care about setting healthy boundaries that are going to perpetuate that then in your culture, they get that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I want to serve under that leader. And so yeah. then you have a culture of people who know how to set healthy boundaries because you're attracting people who set healthy boundaries. Yep. Now, <laughs> setting healthy boundaries and like saving lives work, if it's something where your organization is quite literally saving lives, That's probably a system that you need to build in where maybe you have trained volunteers, Mm -hmm. trained staff members, or you taking shifts where there's a number that can be forwarded to people's phones and they just know this is the night that I'm on. Yeah. However many times a month that they can help. Like a suicide prevention thing, right? Like that could be, that's that's not something that you just turn your phone off at 6 p.m. Right. That's something that you build in the structures, you do the fundraising, you figure out how to get that to work without you just 
always being on call. But even in that system, you can have a designated phone number or two for it without giving all of the people who might need it your personal number in the personal number of every staff member and volunteer who serve with you. Mm -hmm. And so those are boundaries. And a lot of those boundaries are simply just setting up healthy systems um, that can happen in that way. Now, if it's maybe not like the same type of saving lives work, but maybe you're dealing with a lot of people, a lot of people, which means crisis is going to happen. Yep. When you're leading like 100, 150 volunteers. Yeah. Crisis happens. Like it's, yeah, you know, I mean, people I, go I'll, through it. I'll just throw out like I wasn't in a suicide prevention nonprofit, but I had suicide conversations with people because I just had so many people. I also had people who was like, hey, my my friend just died. Hey, this just happened. Hey, my house burned down. Like that kind of stuff. When you when you have a sheer just mm. amount of people, like mm-hmm. you said, it you don't have to be necessarily even doing saving lives work to end up in a saving lives position when you are working with tons of volunteers that you're trying to care about. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to think through where is the threshold where I need to make sure that I'm not the only people person that people can come to. Yeah. Um and make sure that you've bolstered up your organization or your team with enough leadership and with enough investment in um, in the skills that are required to care for people that it can be accomplished without making you a bad leader. Because mm-hmm. there's a there's definitely a point where you are helping trying to help so many people that you end up being bad at helping anybody. Yeah. And now like now now it's worse than it would have been if you just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's like two very different um, examples that just came to mind. I we know one pastor who doesn't really give his phone number out to anyone. He's like, I have people like I care about you. I just recognize for my own mental health. I like very, very, very introverted, but a very great pastor. Um And he's very upfront about it. And people respect it. They respect his boundaries. They talk to him when he's available and around. But they also know that they're not going to have access to call him at 2 a.m. And part of it for him is he knows if I get to a place where I'm burnt out, I'm going to destroy my personal family. And if this all goes down, the church goes down and everything else goes down. And so that's a boundary that he's had to set. Now, that might be something where I'm sure he's wrestled through. What if someone desperately needs me at 2 a.m.? But if he has the boundaries in place, he's let people know and he has whatever systems that he deems necessary as in place. If something happens at 2 a.m., I'm sure he would be devastated to learn that there was a crisis that he wasn't available for. But at the same time, having clear boundaries and not just going through a season of forget it, I'm not answering my phone to anyone, I'm over all of it. When you have those clear boundaries, you can wake up the next morning and still step into the crisis and still be there for people, recognize that it's devastating, but also say like, yeah, I I don't have my phone on at that time. Mm -hmm. Like, and there is something about that, that when you make those agreements with yourself and with your spouse, uh, with your family about when you will and won't be working at the end of the day, it gives you just a little bit of freedom to know that if someone calls like Because they know your boundaries, they probably have the numbers for a few different people that they can reach out to because not everyone is Mm -hmm. leaning on you 24-7. Right. I've had people reach out to me and call me going through stuff and I didn't answer. I didn't know. 
And they and when I followed up with them later, they're like, oh, this terrible thing happened to my relative. And I was trying to figure out this stuff, but I ended up calling this other person. They were able to talk me through it. I'm good now. I'm like, okay. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. At that point, I was still able to step in and care for them and not just be like, oh, good. Glad you didn't need me. But like still actively care for them and be like, man, I'm really glad that we're able to talk now. Is there anything I can do? Whatever the case may be. But at the same time, not carrying around that pressure of I am the only person who can step into any situation and help make it better. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's just it's not healthy. At some point, if you don't set the boundaries, then you have to make the individual decisions to ignore people. And the individual decisions carry a lot more guilt than just having the boundaries and Mm -hmm. training people. This is how I operate in life. Now, I think it's important to to bring up when we're talking about saving lives work, there, there are going to be situations where you were even even if you were available 24 seven, that are just outside of your control. And you could not have done anything. Mm-hmm. Um, a person that I worked with years ago, ended up taking their own life after like a few years after I had, you know, they had served with me. And it was devastating, like absolutely devastating. And um, it was awful. I mean, but uh, one of the wisest things that somebody said to me in the wake of that was. It's it, it's super unfortunate, but they made that choice. You did not make that choice for them. You couldn't like if you were there in the moment, maybe you could have done something, but they may have chosen to make that same choice a week later. You cannot be responsible for other people's individual choices. And when you're thinking about boundary setting, that's a really extreme example. But when you're thinking about boundary setting, you also have to remember that these are boundaries that you're setting up, but people are still going to make choices and your boundaries are not the reason that bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Your boundaries are there so you can help the most amount of people. And so just keeping that in mind is a really important part of this conversation that you're going to set up boundaries and there are going to be moments where you're going to question if your boundaries were too strong and if you could have done something different to prevent a certain thing from happening. And you have to take a step back and remember these boundaries, you know, especially if you take the time to actually work through and wrestle through what the boundaries actually are and not just arbitrarily build up walls mm-hmm. or arbitrarily not build any walls. Take the time to go through it. There are going to be moments where they're going to be challenged. Right. And you're going to have to wrestle through it again and make sure that this boundary is important. So that's it's kind of a, it reminds me a little bit of when uh, we were. Uh, I think we were pregnant with you were pregnant. I wasn't pregnant. You were pregnant with one of our kids. And I remember we had to make a decision like about how, where we were going to give birth or something. And you said like, I just need to know that I made the best decision. If something bad happened that I would know that I made the best decision I could make Mm -hmm. instead of just like arbitrarily choosing one or choosing a, choosing something because somebody else told me to like, I need to know that that was the choice that I made. So that way I could stand on it, even if something bad happened. That's something that I use as a guiding star. People say that, right? 
um, on a regular sure. basis is that question is like, if I don't know what the best thing is, I mean, obviously when we go through seasons of having to set boundaries, a lot of times we'll meet with a counselor, get some outside wisdom, talk to mentors and really figure out what the wise thing is for us to be able to have longevity in what we're doing um, so that we can help people. It's not just selfish boundaries. It's it's selfish so that we can be selfless for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's selfish to burn out and then stop caring about people for the rest of your life. Um, mm-hmm. Easier, but not beneficial. Um, but a lot of times when we're going into a situation and I don't know what the best answer is, I'll get the information that I can to the best of my ability and then ask if we choose to do this, and something bad comes out of it. Like I wake up the next day and it wasn't beneficial with giving birth. Um, if if something bad happened, like something happened with the baby or it just got something, something just went wrong, whatever that meant. I have to be able to look back and say, I made the best decision I knew how to make in the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't make the best decision I knew how to make. Or I know how to make now that the moment's passed. Yeah, And I've learned more information. And if I would have just gone a different way or gone somewhere different, maybe things would turn out. No. We'd all be rich. We'd I just, just say, play the stock I market. I made the best decision that I knew how to make in the moment. And that's, that's also good. how we figure out a lot of our boundaries, too, where it's like, yeah, this might not be the thing at the end that I'm like, man, I did everything perfectly right in life. But if I can honestly look back and say, in the moment, I looked at all the information I had and I made the best decision I knew how to make, that alleviates a lot of the guilt. Mm-hmm. I have friends who make decisions, yeah, a lot of regret. Like, I don't deal with much regret because of that. I'll throw in there, too, making <clears throat> sure you have really great advisors and people around you mm-hmm. helps a ton with that. Because then you know it wasn't just you and your own um ignorance making the best decision you knew how to make right it was i knew the best decision i could possibly make with people who were very very smart helping me make good decisions right because then at that point it's just unforeseen just things bad things happen yeah you know so when we're talking about boundaries let's just give a few examples because i think people think boundaries is you know Mm -hmm. you said not answering the phone yeah um So just a few different ones to think through as you're thinking about this for yourself, kind of as we're wrapping up, because it's not just whether or not you're going to answer the phone at 2 a.m., although that's a big one. Like, start there. At what point are you going to stop taking phone calls? At what point are you going to start taking phone calls each day? Let's take it a step uh, further. How (laughs) often and who, like, who are you going to be emotionally available to mm-hmm. versus who are people that are a little bit more like outside that immediate circle of that I'm emotionally available to. Uh, for some people, like I have a very low tolerance for like emotional energy. I can't handle very much. So like your calendar is uh, full after seeing people. My calendar gets full after I've had to be emotionally available to people really quickly. So I have to be careful with how many people I invite into that circle. It's basically just me. Yeah. Because I'm no, so emotional. True. You just. Oh, yeah. You have more. You have enough emotion. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, the boundary. How much are you going to work and when are you done working? Like, when do you actually stop checking your email? Stop checking the text messages? Stop 
stop thinking about the next goal and the next plan and the next thing. At which point are you going to turn off that part of your brain and say, I am done with that and I am here with my family now. And when those thoughts pop up about the next thing that you have to do, at what point are you going to be willing to say, no, brain, think about anything else and actually train yourself Mm -hmm. to get off of work because you can be physically somewhere different and not mentally be somewhere different. Oh, yeah. I'm there all the time. Right now. Right now. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, A couple other ones, like what boundaries are you going to set around date night? I know that was a big one for us when Mm -hmm. we were in the thick of a lot of uh, like ministry work at the time and we had young kids and we were being pulled all these different directions from different people who needed us. At what point each week were we going to sit down and say, nope, this is our time together and no one gets through. No one gets through. Our phones are off. The babysitter can reach out to us. But beyond that, (laughs) no one gets any of our attention and it doesn't matter. Like we will wait for the hour and a half and then whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Like what are those boundaries that you need? And boundaries can shift over time. Mm -hmm. We are like as our kids get older, our boundaries have shifted. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need we 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 have more. It's easier to find time together than it was when they were babies. (laughs) (laughs) It is. But yeah, boundaries are everything from. You know, how much time are you going to spend on stuff Mm -hmm. and how much mental energy you're going to put towards something? That was a big one. I'd come home at the end of the day just completely mentally exhausted because I hadn't actually saved any for my for for me to come home and have a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I need I need to have no one talk to me now for the rest of the evening. It's like that's not a healthy boundary. I need to be mentally available emotionally available and it's not just the amount of time i'm at work it's like how much is it sucking out of me Mm -hmm. so that way you know we can do this long term and then if you're co-leading an organization with your spouse how are you going to handle that transition from leading in the organization to not Mm-hmm. Now, what we deal with more is when we do go out on a date, we'll say, we don't get to talk about work. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes we're like desperate for conversation. Like, <laughs> we're we're like, like, what else uh... are we doing in life? Like, especially if it's a really busy full season. Some seasons we have ton to talk about. Other seasons we're like, yeah, this is all we've done for two we weeks. We need a hobby what, what else or something. What can we do? Yeah. Um, uh, our kids. How are our kids doing? <laughs> and then the last part of this is how are you going to actually explain these boundaries to other people? One of the worst ways to explain it is to be like, I am the leader and I need space. So don't call me after a certain time. Like I've heard leaders be incredibly either harsh with their boundaries or say they have boundaries because they are inherently special. Yeah. Because they're at the top or in the middle of an organization. I'm different than you. And you lowly peasant, you don't get to talk to me. Okay, they didn't call them peasants, but like (laughs) you don't need to say it with any sort of arrogance to justify your need for it. In fact, if you can just bring it up and say, like, I'm like you and I have limits and I've just recognized if I want to be in this long term, like five years, 10 years, 20 years, I have to set up some boundaries so I can maintain my health, not just my physical health, but also my mental health and my emotional health and my relational health. So because of that... I've talked to some advisors. I've talked to some counselors. Here's what I'm going to start doing. I'm not going to be perfect at it, but I'm going to try my best. 
to maintain these. And when you're people clear are about super, they're very understanding. They're very I mean, understanding. especially nowadays, most people are like, yeah, I get that. That's mm-hmm. okay. And you know what? Like the other part of it too, is don't put the onus on them to, to not, um, like if if you say that there is an invisible line boundary and you cannot cross it, now it's up to them to pay attention to your boundaries. Mm-mm. That isn't fair. Like in that last example, don't call me after a certain time. Actually, what you should be saying is, I don't take calls after a certain time. You yes. can call me, but you're probably not going to get through. You're not so gonna reach send me. me a text, leave me a message, whatever. Like, and it's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> if someone texts you after that time, let's say your cutoff is like six p.m. If someone texts you. Don't respond back to them and say, I don't accept texts after 7 p.m. or after 6 p.m. Like, now that you just did, like, you responded. Yeah, you clearly and had your phone out and you were letting it. don't say, I don't respond to texts after this time, but also the answer is yes. We're going to need that in <laughs> Like, <clears throat> don't do it. Just don't respond. See it. Like, if you happen to see it, like, don't respond to it. Wait till the next day and then say, thanks for your patience um, as you know, I don't respond to texts or I try not to respond to texts after 6 p.m. Here's the answer to your question and use it as a moment afterwards. But I've seen leaders be like, answer the phone and be like, you know, I don't really accept calls after this time. It's like you just well, did, you're accepting you my call now. So now I know <laughs> in the future I can call you and you won't accept the call, but you'll totally answer my question. So <laughs> you have to be smart in the way that you... Uh, continue to uphold your boundaries too. Like there's a right. setting it and then there's actually maintaining it. Absolutely. And it takes effort, but it's well worth it. And eventually it takes much less effort over time. So our question for you uh, listeners and viewers today is this, what boundaries are you working on setting up? What boundaries are you working on maintaining? And in what ways are you going to do a better job of keeping yourself healthy so you can do a better job we'd love to hear answers to those questions or at least just have them bouncing around in your head uh as you go about your work this week and uh we always love hearing from you too if you got interesting ideas or thoughts you can put them down in the comments in youtube or you can send us an email at office at legacybuildersintl.com Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com.